Hello, everyone, and welcome to Multidisciplinary Dialogue, Clinical Rounds and Case Reviews with your host, Dr. Anil Harrison, who is the Associate Program Director for the Internal Medicine Residency Program and the Ambulatory Care Director at Toro University and St. Joseph's Medical Center, Dignity Health in Stockton, California. Today, we have a case review that Dr. Harrison and Dr. Paul Shu will analyze and provide treatment insights. Dr. Shu is a second year internal medicine resident at St. Joseph's Medical Center in Stockton, California. In this episode, we'll discuss metabolic acidosis. The views of the speakers are their own and do not reflect the views of their respective institutions. Good morning, Dr. Harrison. Hi, Paul. You know, it seems like such a long, long time since we recorded our first podcast. How have you been? I've been well, Paul, just waiting for the second one to happen. So I'm excited. Well, I think that's what we're here for today. And I'm very pleased to, I guess, pick up where we left off. Remind us again what our topic is today, Dr. Harrison. I thought, Paul, you mentioned we needed to talk about metabolic acidosis, both the high and the normal and anger. Mm, that is right. We're picking up exactly where we left off. All righty. So without further ado, Dr. Harrison, I actually want to start off our metabolic acidosis with a very relevant case that I actually had. Mm -hmm. Do you mind? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So I saw this uh, 18-year-old um, with type 1 diabetes presenting with a fever, diarrhea, and altered mental status. Mm -hmm. Now, his labs revealed a blood sugar of 700 700, just, just for emphasis, 700 folks, a sodium of 130, a potassium of four, a chloride of 100, a bicarb of 12, and a BUN of 20, cranny of one. Now his serum sodium is positive for ketones and measured serum osmolality of 304. Blood gases revealed a pH of 7.27, a posture pressure of CO2 of 27, posture pressure of O2 of 85, millimeters of mercury and a bicarb of 12. What is going on, Dr. Harrison? Okay. So if you think about it, Paul, what I would like to do is before we get into solving this case, I would like to give you in a chronological order on how to go about metabolic acidosis, which is basically low serum bicarbonate. The first thing you do is to confirm that the serum bicarb is low. If one has blood gases, it would point towards a pH of less than 7.35. Then the next thing to do is to calculate the anion gap, which is sodium minus chloride minus bicarbonate. A normal anion gap is 12 plus minus four, which means an anion gap of eight to 16 is about normal. Therefore, with a low bicarb, you could either get a high anion gap metabolic acidosis, which is greater than 16, or a normal anion gap, which is less than which is less than 16. The next step is to calculate the serum osmolality, which is two times the serum sodium plus blood sugar divided by 18 plus BUN divided by 2.8 and compare it to the lab measured serum osmolality. If the gap is greater than 10, this is significant and relates to other osmoles which are contributing to the elevated serum osmolality with a metabolic acidosis, and things like methanol and ethylene glycol need to be considered. If you have a high anion gap metabolic acidosis or HAGMA, 
The next step is to calculate the delta gap, which equals the patient's anion gap minus a normal anion gap of 12. Following this, to see what the expected serum bicarbonate ought to be, there are several ways of doing this, but this is how I do it. So you take the normal bicarb of 25 and subtract the delta gap from this. So the question is, why do we do this? The reason we do this, as mentioned in podcast one, one could have more than one metabolic component going on. So after you've done this, then you compare the expected or the calculated bicarb with the laboratory measured serum bicarb. If the patient's measured serum bicarb is greater than the expected bicarb, this tells you Besides having a high anion gap metabolic acidosis, there are bicarbonate ions that are retained, signifying a metabolic alkalosis. Conversely, if the measured serum bicarbonate is lower than the expected serum bicarbonate, this signifies that there is a NAGMA or a normal anion gap metabolic acidosis in addition to the HAGMA or the high anion gap metabolic acidosis that the patient has. If the anion gap is normal and the serum bicarbonate is low, this is a magma, denoting that either bicarbonate is being lost or there is a problem generating hydrogen ions in the kidneys, pointing either to a problem in the gut or within the kidneys. Most often you will see that the chloride is elevated, and so this is also called a hyperchloremic norm non-anion gap metabolic acidosis. So what we see here is that we have a patient with uh, a young sick male with type one diabetes, and he's in ketoacidosis. The question is whether there's more to the actual picture. The measure serum osmolality was 304, and we calculate the serum osmolality to be 302. Mm -hmm. Therefore, there is no osmolar gap. Conditions like methanol and ethylene uh, glycoingestin have been ruled out essentially. Absolutely. So we see the criteria from metabolic acidosis being a pH of less than 7.35 and a bicarb of less than 22. Our patient clearly has a metabolic acidosis with a pH of 7.27 and a bicarb of 12. Correct. What should we do next then? So we know how to calculate the serum anion gap. The serum anion gap is sodium minus chloride minus bicarb. Normal anion gap is 12 plus minus four. And if the gap is elevated, we will call it a high anion gap metabolic acidosis or a HAGMA. And if it's a normal anion gap, we'll call it a NAGMA. With a NAGMA, the utility of a urine anion gap, which is sodium plus potassium minus chloride, the actual number is zero on this, or it could be slightly negative. This has the greatest utility with a normal anion gap metabolic acidosis. We, we're not going to discuss it right now because we're dealing with a high anion gap metabolic acidosis. So our patient clearly has a high anion gap of 18. We abbreviate it as HAGMA. It's so fun to say, isn't it, Dr. Harrison? Absolutely, yes, HAGMA. Whenever someone has a HAGMA, think of the mnemonic cat mud piles. What a funny thing. Can you imagine cat mud piles? <laughs> so I, th I, I just think of cat as in C. C stands for carbon monoxide, cyanide, congenital heart disease, associated failure, A for aminoglycosides, T for theophylline, and toluene. Who's mm -hmm. sniffing, right? Correct. Mm. 
M is for methanol. U is for uremia. D is for diabetic ketoacidosis, alcohol, and starvation ketoacidosis. P is for, for propofol, peraldehyde, mm-hmm. fenformin, paracetamol, or here in the States, we call it acetaminophen. Mm-hmm. And then I for iron overload, mm-hmm. isoniazid, mm-hmm. inborn errors of metabolism. Mm-hmm. L represents lactic acidosis, E for ethylene glycol, mm-hmm. and S stands for salicylates. So Dr. Harrison, you know, I noticed that uh, methanol and ethylene glycol are uh, on this list mm-hmm. and harkens back to the osmolar gap that we we're talking about earlier, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. So because we had no osmolar gap, you know, we could say that the possibility of methanol and ethylene glycol aren't really there in our patients. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So what I would like to point out, Paul, is that the anion gap is dependent on a normal serum albumin. A normal anion gap of about 12 is within normal with a normal serum bicarb of 25. One would therefore reason as the bicarb goes down, for example, 10 points, it goes from 25 to 15. The anion gap would widen from 12 to the number 22. So what we did over here was we added 10 bicarbonate to the number 12 and we came up with 22. Unfortunately, this does not always happen, especially if there is another metabolic problem going on, such as either a normal anion gap metabolic acidosis or a metabolic alkalosis. To ascertain if there is another metabolic problem, such as an agma or a metabolic alkalosis going on, in addition to the HAGMA, one calculates the expected bicarb, which equals a normal bicarb of 25 minus the delta anion gap. If there is only a high anion gap metabolic acidosis, your expected bicarbonate should equal the measured lab bicarbonate value. If the measured or patient's bicarbonate is significantly more than the expected or calculated bicarbonate, this denotes an additional metabolic alkalosis. On the other hand, If the patient's bicarbonate is less than the expected bicarbonate, there is a nagma also going on. Therefore, in our patient who has a sodium of 130, a potassium of 4, a chloride of 100, and a bicarb of 12, clearly he has a high anion gap metabolic acidosis with an anion gap of 18. His delta gap is 18 minus 12, which equals 6. So the expected bicarb, therefore, should be your normal bicarbonate of 25 minus the delta anion gap of 6, which equals 19. But if you actually look at the patient's bicarb, his bicarb is only 12, signifying that the patient's bicarb is lower than the calculated or expected bicarb. So this clearly tells you that this patient also has a NAGMA, also called a normal anion gap metabolic acidosis. And I think this is possibly a secondary to his diarrhea with loss of bicarbonate. So recapping for our audience here, uh, there's a lot of good information here. We have an 18-year-old with type 1 diabetes on insulin, presented with fever, diarrhea, and altered mental status. He has a high gap metabolic acidosis secondary to DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, and a normal gap metabolic acidosis possibly secondary to diarrhea, which his lungs are actually functioning well, blowing off CO2. We see the bicarb is 12 plus 15 
otherwise known as equal to 27, because as we remember from previous episode, there exists a relationship between the carbon dioxide, CO2 and bicarb. They're always around 15 of each other where the 27 came from. And then as we recap our approach of metabolic acidosis, the first thing you should do really what we should all do is to confirm that the serum bicarb is low. Number one, if one has blood gases, it should point towards a pH of less than 7.35. Correct. So the next step is to calculate the anion gap, which is sodium minus chloride minus bicarb. Now in some hospitals, I just want to point this out. Mm -hmm. They sneak in potassium. So be sure to calculate the ion gap for yourself, at least the first time and see if it corresponds to the ion gap calculated in the uh, labs in your EHR. Once again, it's sodium minus chloride minus bicarb. A normal ion gap is 12 plus or minus four, which means an ion gap of eight to 16 is about normal. Now there's a huge caveat here. Once again, that Dr. Harrison mentioned this normal and gap of 12 plus or minus four is based off of a normal albumin. So keep that in mind as well, but a good ballpark figure is 12 plus or minus four. Therefore with a low bicarb, you could either get a high and gap greater than 16 or a normal and gap, which is less than 16. The next step is to calculate the serum osmolality, which is two times sodium because you want to account for the chloride, sodium chloride go together. So two times sodium plus plus sugar divided by 18, BUN divided by 2.8. And compare that to the lab measured serum osmolality. Mm -hmm. If the gap is greater than 10, this is significant. And it relates to other osmols, which are contributing to the elevated serum osmolality with a metabolic acidosis, such as the toxic alcohols, which we also mentioned in our first podcast. So for those of you who did not listen to the first podcast, this is a shameless promotion for you to also check us out on our first podcast. There's methanol, ethylene glycol. Okay. If you have a high and gap metabolic acidosis or HAGMA, the next step is to calculate the delta gap, which equals the patient's and gap minus a normal and gap of 12. The next step is to see what the expected serum bicarb ought to be. And there are several ways of doing this. And this is how Dr. Harrison does it and how I choose to do it as well. You take the normal bicarb of 25 and then you subtract it from the delta gap. Now I'm sure all these inquisitive minds out there, all these budding Dr. Harrison's are probably wondering, why do we do this? What an arbitrary formula, normal bicarb of 25 minus the delta gap. Well, the reason why we do this as mentioned in once again, podcast one, one could have more than one metabolic component going on. So you compare the expected and calculate bicarb to the laboratory measured serum bicarb. If the patient's laboratory measured serum bicarb is greater than the expected to calculate bicarb, this tells us besides having a HAGMA, there has to be bicarb ions that are retained. This of course signifies metabolic alkalosis. You have excess bicarb. So that creates an alkalotic picture, hence metabolic alkalosis. Conversely, if the measured serum bicarb is lower than the expected in calculus serum bicarb ratio, this signifies that there is a nagma in addition to a hagma, right? Correct. Right? Because if we don't have an excess in bicarb, it's a normal anion gap. If the anion gap is normal and the serum bicarb is low, this is a nagma denoting that either bicarb is being lost or there's a problem generating hydrogen ions in the kidney, pointing either to a problem in the gut, nay gutative, and this is a, a preview for those of you who have no idea why I just emphasized negative. Uh, negative. 
So, or within the kidneys, most often you will see that the chloride is elevated, also called hyperkaremic non-ANGAP metabolic acidosis. Both of us know, and a non-GAP is useful, you know, when you kind of have a patient with, you know, a metabolic acidosis, and you want to know if it's a high anion-GAP metabolic acidosis or a normal anion-GAP metabolic acidosis. And the way to calculate an anion-GAP is your sodium minus chloride plus bicarbonate. Uh, you had a great question. You know, there's certain places, certain institutions that use an anion gap, you know, which is from 8 to 16. But there are other institutions where, you know, depending on the way that it's checked, the anion gap is 8 to 12. And as you know, the anion gap also depends on the serum albumin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you've got a normal serum albumin of 4 and you multiply this by 2.5, you get an anion gap of 10. So if the albumin is low, your anion gap also gets lower. And for every gram of albumin that is below normal, you have to deduct about 2.5 milliequivalents per liter on the anion gap. So I hope I've answered that question. Anion gap is one of those things that I think we definitely take for granted. You know, in some systems, especially the institution where I train, Mm -hmm. the way anion gap is calculated incorporates potassium right? The, 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 a lot of people simplify the anion gap calculation. So sodium plus potassium becomes just sodium minus chloride plus bicarb, right? Correct. Correct. So eh, the reason why that is, is also because sodium is the dominant uh, cation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, potassium really doesn't contribute much, but if you do include potassium, that alters your, your gap a a little bit. And then on top of that, the albumin is also a much neglected protein in the, in the blood, even though it's not in the equation, it's a large contributor towards the, uh, what is considered normal range. And that's the reason why Dr. Harrison wanted to also clarify this particular point. Absolutely. Paul. So normal anion gap, you know, reflects the concentration of non-bicarbonate anion buffers, such as albumin, phosphate, sulfate, and other organic acids. Albumin, which has a net negative charge, is the single largest contributor to the anion gap. So folks, you have sodium on the other side and you have albumin on the other side. Without further you know, banter, I invite you guys to revisit podcast one and definitely revisit podcast two because there's a lot of good information here. Podcast three will be uh, out very shortly. We try to have regular uploads. Well, thank you so much, Paul. It's always a pleasure doing this with you. Likewise, pleasure is all mine. Thank you, Dr. Harrison. Thank you.